concerning myself with psychopaths and also spending time doing things that aren't that relevant to all of this. One of the things that I kind of wish I had have done, I thought about it, but I thought that I would like to have invented something, and here is the thing, not for any kind of real violent purpose, but, you know, I wanted to, while I was still here on this place we call Earth or whatever, I wanted to design something that would give me the ability at times, you know, because trying to say that we're surrounded by psychopaths all this time has been um, a rather complicated deal because, you know, a lot of um, the reality, the reality of it did not seem to want to be accepted, okay? So, um, this thing I wanted to design was that I could grab through screens and grab people by the collars, just for a little bit of a shaking. Um, but, you know, I always have to remind myself, I need to stay in my own lane, okay? But I'm kind of doing a little bit of shaking now, because this is really reality. So, if you thought I was going to go down without a fight, you probably were listening to the wrong person, okay? I've been doing this research for many years, and the first 20 years, you know, I had my form and all that, and that was clearly the perfect opportunity to um, solicit help from the victims of the form, and I never did, because I was always able to get side gigs. And you know what's actually turned out to be interesting, by me not groveling for the money to make all the first years happen, was because those people didn't pay me anything to come and talk. They came at their own free will, because frankly... You know, 20, 25 years ago, these victims that were showing up at my forum, they were successful people. And they only showed up at my forum, well, it was the first one, but also because they really had nowhere to go. You know, by that point, they had no friends or family left, okay? Everybody had told them things like, well, you know, even if it was a psychopath, I mean, come on. It could have been Ted Bundy. I mean, you're still alive, aren't you? So, yeah, so the thing that helped me was that it gave me an entire base of information for all this research because through them I learned what it was like firsthand to be in a personal relationship because my relationship was with a different kind of psychopath and that was a corporate psychopath at Intel and what we both shared the victims who came to my forum see life should really be about sharing I believe that we came from a time that we shared and worked together. So, um, but remember, these are just my thoughts, okay? So, by these early victims sharing with me, it gave me all of my base for my early research. And then, of course, doing interviewing the psychopaths, my book, and all that. And then, of course, you know, along the way, I also had discovered that the researchers themselves <laughs> in this field were psychopaths. Well, I knew about the biggest one. I knew he was a psychopath. Um, Bob Hare, I knew that like, oh, I met him in person in the early 90s, so I had figured that one out. But of course, I hadn't figured out the whole research, <laughs> the whole deal was polluted, right? So, yeah, so, and you know, the guy who wrote the foreword to my book, I went for years not thinking he was a psychopath because he agreed with me that the other one was a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been kind of a long path, right? But, you know, along the way, it's been interesting because along with that, after I left, um, after I got into the lawsuit with Intel, I had a consulting business, and my rate was like $120 an hour, okay? 
um, by the time I left Silicon Valley, I had, if I remember correctly, it was no more than $500, okay? And by then I had sold everything, I'd walked away from everything, and it was all good. It didn't seem like all good at the time, of course, when you're 50 and you're moving to your mother's home. <laughs> but now it seems okay, right? So, and the other interesting thing is, because of my mom and her cousin Bruce that I've talked about, I've been looking into stuff that they left behind, and I found the exact date I was looking for for when they settled some of these places. So, yeah, everything kind of works for a purpose, right? And then, to keep things going with this research, the last many years I was selling on eBay. Well, what was I selling on eBay? Well, primarily old religious prints. <laughs> so I started thinking, what was the latest year that I ever sold? You know what I mean? And then the interesting thing came to my mind that, well, all of this stuff, this 1800 stuff that ended up in this this part of the country, because you got to figure out, I, f I figured out when they settled this part of the country, still have a lot more to go, okay, but I have a very specific date for here now. So yeah, so then you have to start using your logical brain, right? This stuff ended up, these old religious prints in this area in the 1800s, okay? And I personally handled and sold some of those prints, right? So I know that none of this is fishy, right? And what had happened in the 1800s, a lot of these prints got made, right? And I ran across a lot of them. You would find a lot of the same one. Well, I learned to look for the ones that didn't have the damage. So that gives me another date, right? Because the ones I was buying at auction were ones that literally came from somebody's house around here that has settled here, right? So you see how you can start to do the math here? So then you got to start to think, well, how did they get all these? Let's just look at the prints <laughs> that I was selling. And the, they, they all had frames, they all had glass, and they were old prints, religious prints. So then you got to ask the next logical conclusion. Well, if we believe the part about um, people settling in other parts of the country, right? I've already got that straight in my head. They move people to other parts of the country by homesteading them, okay? You offer them a free piece of land. They're on the East Coast. They're early immigrants. You offer them a piece of land. And I can only speak to Montana because that's where my family was from. So you offer them a piece of land. And how do they get to that, how do they get to that uh, place, right? Well, I've seen a picture of, like, my grandparents. They were uh, a picture of them with a horse and a, a wagon. I thought, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so I started thinking, well, I don't think that they made it there in that horse and that wagon, okay? They had to have gotten there, right? And the only way they would have gotten there, logically, would have been by train, right? So, yeah, because you just have to start to think about things because they didn't introduce the cars until the 1900s, right? Well, those cars, I've seen pictures of them. They don't look like they were, and I've actually seen those cars, so this I can verify, right? They don't actually look like, they're roadsters, right? People were not buying those old 1919 Fords in New York and driving them to settle in Montana. That, that just wasn't happening, okay? So I think what they cleverly isolated was this, a time that... People could only transport to the um, places, the homesteads, by train, right? 
the whole Horton Carton wagon train deal makes no sense. As a matter of fact, if I ever get to do this show, I can point to exactly when the whole horse and cart thing did. But anyway, so yeah, so logically, my grandparents could not have possibly gotten there on that horse and cart. And I doubt that they were crazy, and I doubt that they were stupid. <laughs> I think to get into a covered wagon, like they're telling us, and travel across country, because they had set up all those rugged conditions, right? Because nobody was from here. They just landed here. <laughs> so, even without the fake Indians, I, I don't think most people would go along with uh, traveling, you know, you know, young married couples. I don't think they're going to sign up for a wagon train. And how they get their kids there? Well, my grandparents, another clue, they didn't arrive in Montana with my mom and her siblings. They came later. Well, how did everybody show up? Well, lots of questions, right? I mean, there's a possibility, you know, there were six of them. There's a possibility that, um, well, let's say grandma and grandpa arrived, you know, 1800s, when I know for a fact they homesteaded in Montana. I also found a key thing from a family story, which is not fed by the CIA, that knew when a certain person had homesteaded on that part of the mountain in Montana. So there I've got a date of like 1860, right? So, yeah, it, it becomes just following the trail, right? So And the trail, <laughs> the trail is pretty crazy, okay? Um, but the trail also is this entire thing has been seriously a magic trick, okay? These people are the ones who came up with the first signs of, go watch before, if I, hopefully I'll be able to fill you in more, but in the meantime, go watch the movie Dracula, okay? You'll find a copy of it on YouTube, or you can rent a copy for Fort. Where does Dracula start off in? Well, <clears throat> Dracula, <laughs> funny you should ask, is from Romania in a place called Transylvania, okay? So I'll leave that alone for now. i got to get back on track here as best somebody like me can. So in the meantime, go watch that movie, Dracula. It was out in the... You want to watch... Dracula was done in a million different ways. What you're looking for is the Dracula movie from, I think it's like 1939. It's for sure not the Dracula from 85. You want the Dracula from 1939 area. Yeah. That's the Dracula you want to look for. Um, and then just think about things, okay? Just think it over, okay? We've been played big time. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so I don't know. I think we all just kind of have to decide, what are we here for? Um, and what I get the feeling is from people by their comments to me is that it appears like what I'm doing is negative. Well, it all is a matter of what our choices are, right? I don't believe, well, I did believe we were here for the singing and dancing <laughs> because certainly I'm not going to sit here and act like the first 40 or 50 years of my life before I got into this work that I was like a dull, <laughs> boring person to be around. <laughs> I stopped short of dancing on top of tables a few times in Mexico, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so it's, it's, it's not, you know, you know, things can get perceived as being some sort of a killjoy or something, and that's never been my intent, so... But remember, these people started out singing and dancing, okay? It's the singing and dancing that has captivated everybody as you look around. So, I don't know. I just made for my own choice that I'm actually finding how they led us singing and dancing to be absolutely fascinating. 
but what is the disturbing part for me is what's going on with the most vulnerable. So that was my agreement, I believe, for coming down here was to figure out who these people are, okay? But certainly my agreement can't be to run social media, uh, do all the research. <laughs> and um, the only reason it becomes an issue to share my research is because I have the kid in Bangladesh. I need him more than I need about anybody at this point, okay? He makes my life easy, but he has to get paid. So it's going to be a matter of how we want to spend our time and all of that. I'm here. I've already done the research, but I don't really want to get on to anybody else and tell anybody else what they should be doing. Because remember, we all came with free will. For me, I don't know how much time we have left. I know personally I'm kind of on the skids for what they did to me, but I mean, that aside, okay, they're getting pretty desperate, okay, so who knows what's next. It would be nice if we could stay together and keep communicating. So I hope that we have the time to, and you want to hear what I have to say as far as what's going on with the, the, the most vulnerable, because, you know, I think that we need to understand this, at least for me. I want to understand this. And you may decide that, yeah, you get it. You're going to go out and do something yourself for the most part. And that is terrific. What I'm trying to get across here is I don't know how much time is around. I'm certainly not in any way screaming, stop, run, <laughs> because uh, that's how they want us to react. So let's, let's not play that game, okay? But anyway, because fear and control is the only thing that I have found through all this research that got us here. And also, it took a whole lot of people looking the other way. And it was a magic trick, but we need to define more how it happened. Like, I am just fascinated about, they did this entire thing with eggs and vaccines and chickens, okay? And I just recently found out that um, the U.S. military is in charge of this huge secret chicken program. Well, I don't know. This whole thing is interesting to me because eugenics is not just one angle, okay? So then I start wondering, well, the chickens, right? Keeping chickens in secret locations run by the military? Well, you do realize that the military and the Department of Health and Human Services are federal agencies with the same reporting structures. <laughs> I kind of get the idea they probably share things. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that ties the... Um, that ties the military directly into the vaccines and the chickens, which is such a bizarre story. So what would they do with all the chickens? Well, I don't know. I can only speculate. But it seems kind of interesting that in the 40s when they came up with this chicken, chicken and eggs being used for vaccines on secret military bases, which is still going on now, but they're secret, so I can't really tell you how many of them are going on. But then one has to wonder, why exactly did they start pushing chicken nuggets <laughs> just a few years after that well i don't know some interesting things came out of that in my research so yeah eugenics takes a million a million different turns in this deal and personally i just kind of want to figure them all out so you have to decide what you'd like to do i am here if you want me to keep uploading shows it has to be a community effort and here's the thing we got here because of none of us working together because that's that's been the whole master plot, and I don't think you need me to explain it to you one more time. I mean, it went from the Internet was at first, hey, fun, <laughs> we could cruise all over the Internet. You know, this was before we had Google and stuff, right? 
And then it became, you know, oh well, uh, yeah, you can get the internet on your phone, and oh yeah, get rid of your get rid of your computer because you can just work on your phone. And then oh yeah, we got everything on your phone. And talk about a control path, okay? And along that control path, it very in a very evil genius way, it totally manipulated our reactions about ourselves and toward ourselves. And I think the first thing they took away from us was our basic instinct to sniff danger. I mean, seriously, they really did. So, yeah, it's it's big and pretty complicated. So anyway, so we need to do something. Just pick something, okay? So anyway, so I'm going to get off here and get this to the kid in Bangladesh because I don't want to change my mind. I've said what I had to say. We have a path in front of us. I could have literally written this song, and it plays in my head. It is my last remaining grasp. When I'm doing all this research, this song plays in my head. Enjoy it. Goodbye for now. Hi. I have a couple added things that are kind of important about Dracula. Um, I was doing a sound check, and um, I kind of wandered off on the Dracula part, so... I'd like to leave you with a few things to look at for yourself about Dracula. But first, the most the the gypsies are also flamenco dancers, okay? It gets complicated, but I can explain more later, but look up Carmen I Carmen Amaya, and that is spelled Carmen A M A Y A. Carmen was supposed Carmen. <laughs> Carmen was a man, um, quite a talented flamenco dancer, rated as the most famous flamenco dancer in the world. And she or he, however you choose to look at this, was born. Um, oh, there's some, there's some, there's some squeamish about the date of actual birth, but allegedly. On the 2nd of November, 1913, I think. Yeah, yeah, very famous. Carmen Amaya. I've watched quite a few of her clips on YouTube. And, and well, go look for yourself. Okay, a couple more deals about the Romanians, okay, that are significant. And this Transylvania and the uh, Dracula deal, okay. I just buzzed through my notes real quick, so i got to get this moving to the kid and Bangladesh. But anyway, so um, the old Romanian language was the only language in Europe which contained Albanian substranium. Now, I don't remember why I thought that was a key point. I'll have to think about that one. So um, 73% of people in Transylvania are Romanians. Um, while the Hungarians in Transylvania sum up 22%. Now, these data, I obviously have to reconfirm and look. We have to kind of look at more than one spot. And this was just for my original notes on this. So, um, Transylvania population speak both Romanian and Hungarian. Across Romania, Romanian is spoken by 91% of the population as a primary language, while Hungarian is just much lower. Because So primarily 91% speak Romanian, okay? So that kind of gives you the drift that uh, I think that the we can safely say <laughs> the Romani gypsies uh, come from Transylvania, okay, where this story about Dracula is. 
And just a warning, this Dracula story can get a little fuzzy because they had to count Dracula and somebody else. But let me tell you what I can give you as a review because it is a good movie. Transylvania is a historical region that is located in central Romania. Bound on the east and south by its natural borders, the Carpathian Mountain Range. Transylvania extends toward the Apunzi Mountains. Okay. Dracula is a novel by a man named Brian Stoker. Watch out, Ireland. <laughs> You're going to be... <laughs> Ireland is in the house, right? Anyway, I'll get to that in a minute here. So Dracula is the novel... The author is, oh, Bram, B-R-A-M, Stoker, S-T-O-K-E-R. It was published in 1897, okay? Now, we, we're not also right now assuming that that Dracula movie from 1939 or whatever it was, we're not assuming that that was really written in 39, right? It could have been written before, or this book could have been written right before the movie. I mean, I'm just right now saying what the chronological order appears to be. So, it was published supposedly in 1897 as a upholstery novel. The narrative is related through letters, diary entries, and newspaper articles. It has no single protagonist, but opens with solicitor Jonathan Harker taking a business trip to stay at the castle of a Transylvanian noble, Count Dracula. Harker, Harker escapes the castle after discovering that Dracula is a vampire, and the Count moves to England and plagues the seaside town of Whitby. Yeah, so Count Dracula then moves to England and plagues a seaside town called Whitby, W-H-I-T-B-Y. Whether that's real or not, I really don't know, but I'm <laughs> just repeating the story here. A small group led by Abraham Van Helsing hunt Dracula, and the end, kill him. Well, you'll have to go watch the movie for the rest of this. So anyway, so Dracula was mostly written in the 1890s. This is according to them. Stoker produced over 100 pages of notes for the novel, drawing extensively from Transylvanian folklore and history. Some scholars have suggested that the character of Dracula was inspired by historical figures like the Walchanian prince Vlad the Impaler. Vlad, V-L-A-D, the Impaler. You will see this character coming up in this Dracula story, okay? Uh, so anyway, so, or the Countess Elizabeth Bathory. So anyways, but there's a lot of disagreement, but you'll see, it's still, it's a little fuzzy, okay? It took me few minutes and I'll get back to it more clearly later but it did take me a while to kind of this Vlad the Impaler thing enters his dragon <laughs> just go look just let your fingers do the magic and use some of these names to perk up your interest and see what it's about so I find them all interesting so um, so some people say his notes didn't mention either but what's interesting they said that he found the name Dracula in Whitby's public library while holidaying there, picking it because he thought it meant devil in Romanian. Well, I don't know. Uh, Dracula is also one of the most famous pieces of English literature. Not Romanian, not Greece, but English, right? 
many of the book's characters have entered popular culture as archetypal versions of their characters. Yeah, really. For example, Count Dracula as a quintessential vampire and Abraham Van Helsing as an iconic vampire hunter. The novel, which is in the public domain, so you can go read it for free, kids, go look it up, um, has been adapted for films over 30 times, <laughs> and its characters have made numerous appearances in virtually all media. Boy, how's it ever. Okay, so let's, okay, Ireland, perk up your ears here. <laughs> Abraham Stoker, who's the author of Dracula, he lived... 8 November 1847 to 20 April 1912. He or she, however you want to look at this, <laughs> was an Irish author best known today for his 1897 gothic horror novel Dracula. And let me insert something here, okay, while I'm thinking about it. You know what I'm finding in all these buildings for the early asylums and stuff? You know what the decor was? primarily gothic, okay? So during his lifetime, he was better known as the personal assistant, I don't know where that comes from, a business manager. Oh, this we're talking about this Abraham guy. Yeah, okay, we don't care about that. Anyway, the bottom line is he was a Irish author best known for his gothic horror. See, Dracula classifies as a gothic horror. Now, what went on from 1847 to, I don't know, like, now or, or in the beginning ages right between 19 let's let's look at 1847 to um well they don't really define the first generation until around that era okay and then they go through the gen x and the boomers and all that kind of stuff so the first generation is only defined there's like this huge gaping hole there so but let me just try to simplify this so that first generation of places that they were constructing appeared out of place to me for quite a while because um, because of the style, the height, of, uh, the whole the whole deal, right? But what's interesting is that the majority of them were done in a the Gothic was the style that was most popular. I'm not and Romanesque was the second most popular style. Okay, I'm sure there's a little Moroccan in there, but those two styles. But I would guess that just from my view in these buildings that the majority of the most evil ones that I've seen, you know, the ones that were these early asylums, they were all clearly gothic designs. So it's interesting that gothic happened to come with Dracula. Okay, so I'm not saying any of these dates are correct. I'm just saying that, you know, they could have written this stuff right before they did that movie for all we know. So anyway, so yeah, and I can, because they, they track the generations quite quite interestingly. So anyway, so yeah, and they, they left some really big interesting holes in there, but just try to focus on Dracula for right now. So yeah, it's interesting, and then you get into all this stuff, all this talk about blood, all this talk about changing our DNA, and then Dracula enters the picture. I mean, this story cannot get any crazier. So anyways, i got to get running now. Scoop. Bye for now. Be safe out there.
Imagine all. 